We talked about the, uh, the parable of what? Awesome. The wheat and the tares. The wheat and the weeds, right? We talked about that. Where God is in the business of what? Planting wheat. And we're also about that business. But while the person who sowed the good seed, which is the Father here, Jesus, somebody came and they sowed weeds or tares, right? And who, who sowed the tares? The enemy. The Bible says an enemy has done this. So last week we saw that that, that parable is telling us that we're not in the business of cutting down the weeds. Amen? We're in the process of growing wheat. And we were all, in this parable, we were all weeds at one point. Amen? I do have to say amen because I just know, know that you're listening. Make sure no one passed out from sunstroke sitting in the sun. Yeah, that's right. We were all weeds at one point, And God turned us from the tares into the wheat. So now we as wheat, the parable says, hey, his servant said, hey, should we go chop down the weeds? What did God say? No. no. Let them grow. Right? We don't want to actually cut down something that will be wheat because the two at their earliest ages are indistinguishable. We can't see them. And that tells us a lot about new Christians too. New Christians look like and act like what? Weeds. Right? When you got saved, did you have your life all figured out and fixed? No. Matter of fact, I got saved and I was still the same dirtbag I was the day before. Guess what? The day after, same dirtbag. Day after, same. I'm still a dirtbag, right? But I'm progressing. Getting better every single day, right? That's called the work of sanctification. We're, we're working on these things. So if you would, let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to go through some scriptures rather quickly here, but we're going to continue this thought about the believer's response to evil in the world. We, we call this message, Opposition to the Kingdom. Right? So we're in the process of growing wheat, but we got this problem. There are weeds, and God has a lot to say about this. Now, Matthew 4.23, I want to remind you, because this is... I want this thought in your brains. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He calls it the gospel of the kingdom. This is what we would call the whole gospel. Now, his death, burial, and resurrection is the foundation and our entrance into this kingdom. But there's a lot more to the good news of Jesus. We see that Jesus proclaimed the gospel. Now, he was alive. This is at the beginning of Matthew. And 4.23 says this. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. We see Jesus equated with the arrival of the kingdom, with the healing of his people, and the casting out of demons. Now, you say, well, that was Jesus. The Apostle Paul shows up. Acts 19.8 says this, and you can write this down, you can go back and study it. It says, and he went into the synagogue, talking of Paul, and he spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. When Paul went into the Jewish synagogues, what was he proclaiming? The gospel of the kingdom. Again, the foundation being the Lord Jesus. But there's so much more to the kingdom. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, hopefully you're still there, verses 8 and 9, Jesus, during his temptation, after his baptism, the Bible says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted. And in verse 8, we see one of the temptations of Satan. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Did Jesus take that deal? No. 
Why am I reading the scripture? Because I want to show you that Satan offered Jesus a shortcut. He knows that Jesus' whole mission here is to bring about the kingdom of God. It's not only to die, it's to usher in this kingdom that has been promised, that everyone has been looking for. This kingdom. Jesus Christ, did you know that he's a king? Did you know the anointed one? That's, he's, he's a king. He's a king of something. He has a kingdom. And he was bringing this kingdom. And Satan says, look, I, let me make it easy on you. If you worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms. I'll, I'll give you this whole thing. The second thing that tells us is who's really the God of this world? Yeah, at this time, it, it was Satan, right? He's the God of the, the Bible says, he's the prince of the power, the prince of power of the air. He's the God of this world. Now, here's the good news. Revelation 11.15, drop this down. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there, was a loud, there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Guess what? He gets, you know, the very kingdoms that Satan offered Jesus, Jesus gets them anyways. That's awesome. When this whole thing wraps up, these things that once have been under the power of Satan become the Lord Jesus's. That's good news. Revelation 11.15. Now, in case last week I didn't hammer this home, Jesus clearly taught that the way into the kingdom is to be born again. John 3.3 says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, when we accept the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we when we pray, and we believe the gospel, when we b- believe this news, when we say, hey, our allegiance now is with you, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you died and rose again, that you conquered the grave. The Bible says that something new has happened in you. It says all things have become new. Your spirit is, is regenerated. It becomes new. Now, on the outside, like I said, you're the same nasty, mean, rotten person. But guess what? The inside is new. And now you actually can bring about change. Right? Something new has happened. There's a new seed inside of you. And the Bible says it's of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's something else that has happened at the new birth that you may not have noticed or ever thought about. Colossians 1.13. Why don't you turn there? If you got it, instead of jotting it down, if you have your Bibles, go to Colossians 1.13. Am I moving too quick? Speaking too fast? Alrighty then. It says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now that word domain in the ESV, your King James Bible says the power of darkness. But where the word kingdom comes from is what? The king's domain. We've been transferred from Satan's dominion, Satan's domain, to whose domain? God's. At the new birth, you switch allegiances. You switch from the kingdom of this world to God's kingdom. Did you know that? You have a new king. Accepting Lord, the Lord Jesus is so much more than just being saved. You actually switch allegiances. You now serve a king. And he has a lot to say. If you're going to be in my kingdom, that's what we're talking about. 
When Trace preached a couple weeks ago, he did two messages about how uncomfortable change is. But that's life in the kingdom. We have to change. We should be growing. Life is uncomfortable because we are what? We're in the process of change. And it hurts. But we are being changed into his image. The reason it hurts is because the Bible says we're just, the heart is deceitfully wicked. We're working out all these terrible things that we've learned from a young age, right? And we're shedding these things. And the Bible says that the path of the just get brighter and brighter, even to a perfect noonday. As much as it hurts, it's having a work in us. Amen? Now listen to this. Go to Acts 26. Now this is Paul. He's, he's giving a defense of why he does what he does. This is towards the end of Paul's life. And he's telling people, this is, this is why my life got turned upside down, to quote Will Smith, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Right? <laughs> I didn't mean to quote that. I just said my life got turned upside down. I was like, wait a minute, I've heard this before. Right? He's like, but this is what happened. His life did get turned upside down. He met Jesus on the road. Jesus actually blinded him, right? Flashlight, blinds him, scares everybody off, and he speaks to him. In your Bible, this should be in red. But in verse 15, Acts 26, 15 through 18, it says, So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Verse 18, this is the kicker. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul's mission was to move people from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, from the power of darkness to the power of light. Can you see that? That is what the gospel of the kingdom is about. It's not only being saved, it's about transferring your whole life under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this kingdom should affect every area of your life. There is no part of you that should be left unchanged. Amen? That was a great spot to say amen. Have you never been to a charismatic church? That should just be required just to go for a day. You'll walk out of there and you'll accidentally say amen every now and again just to fit in. Right? Yeah. That was Paul's whole job. God, Jesus, this is the words of Jesus. You know how we know? It's red. He says, proclaim to them to get out of the power of darkness to the power of light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. This is the gospel that we proclaim. We're not only preaching his death, burial, and resurrection. That's great. And if he only did that, that's wonderful. But the Bible says there are things that accompany salvation. There are, there's a whole kingdom at hand. And living in the kingdom, if we only live in Satan's kingdom, which we're physically in right now, life is terrible. Has anyone seen all the ugliness going on around us? And you wonder, what is God doing? He's already done it all. He's brought a kingdom here. But you need to open your eyes to this reality that this kingdom is here and it is inside of you. And you and I are pushing this kingdom out into a broken world. I went to Bible college up in, up in the Seal Beach area, Los Angeles area. And, the, and their motto is bringing a living Jesus to a dying world. And I always love that motto. right? Because the world around us is... Dying. And we have the answer. We have the life. We have the light. We have all these things. All the answers the world seek is searching for is actually found in the kingdom of God. 
Now last week in the parable of, of the wheat and tares, we saw that we're to grow wheat, not cut down the weeds. The weed cutting will come later. The Bible says that is the angel's job, right? They're going to do the great harvest. Now, we also have a problem, which I want to talk about today. So that's, that's my, uh, my summary, and now I'm almost done out of time preaching. So now we're really going to start moving. If you thought that was quick, look out. We have a problem. An enemy has sown weeds or tares. But it's bad enough that the weeds exist, but the weeds are active in trying to choke us out. Right? So the last three weeks we've been talking about how we should have love for people. Pray for your enemy. Love those that persecute you. Turn the other cheek. The central message of how to operate in the kingdom. But now what do we do when the weeds are the ones striking? They're the ones tearing you down. That's a real problem, right? It's bad enough that there's weeds in your garden, but now they're choking out the good fruit you're trying to grow. So let's talk about this. Now, we have moved kingdoms. We have a different king. But one thing we have to realize, I want you to think about this. We're going to put all this together at the end. But think about the idea now, because you have a new king, the old king, the old king's authority has been broken in your life. You no longer serve Satan. And therefore, he no longer has authority over your life. You serve somebody else that now has authority. But here's the deal. Satan still wants to control you. He still wants to be your king. It doesn't matter that he sees you going to church or you read your Bible or you worship. He still wants to ex- ex- he wants to push his authority on you. If he can control you, right? He can he can choke you out. Not physically, right, but spiritually. Now Romans 6:16 6, says this. Do you not know that if you present yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. So it says here, your master is whom you obey. If you obey sin, what is your master? Yeah, Satan or sin. Right? So if you keep on sinning, you have decided whom you're going to serve. And I'll tell you right now, the Bible says in Romans 6, you're not serving God. In case you're wondering what happens if I sin, we'll get to that. There's good news. Right? But if sin is your life practice, you are not serving God and you are not participating in the kingdom. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You notice, for the devil to flee, you have to do something. What do you have to do? Submit to God. Resisting the devil on your own or by yourself will not result in anything. You have no strength there, right? Submission to God is how you drive the enemy out of your life. So if you feel that you have too much evil in your life, too much Satan, too much worldliness, stop and think. Are you submitting to God? Are you submitting to His way of doing things in the kingdom? And the war we find ourselves in in the wheat and tares is the war over whom we will submit to. Satan wants your allegiance and so does God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit, I'm a jealous God, right? It's all or nothing. He wants all of you. Satan also wants all of you. From the beginning, his downfall was pride. He wanted the worship. Right? That's the other thing we didn't talk about at the beginning. Satan wants worship. He wants the adulation. He wants to be like the Most High, Isaiah says. He wants to put his throne above God's throne. He wants to be the object of affection. And when we sin and we don't live in the kingdom, you may not know this, but we give him that allegiance. Now, I want to... uh, you can flip there if you want, but I'm going to read it quickly. Matthew 12, 22 through 28. Jesus actually talks about Satan's kingdom. 
It says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him. So the man spoke and he saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, Whoops. Sorry. They didn't say whoops. That was me. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come among you. Basically what happens is a greater kingdom has come amongst the people. This blind mute man was oppressed by the kingdom of Satan. And a greater kingdom showed up. And a greater king showed up, right? The strong man was bound. You keep reading that. You can read that in your free time there. But we have a greater king that showed up. But Jesus says, look, Satan isn't going to cast out Satan. He's not going to cripple his own kingdom, right? So we see the power of God here. And we see Jesus acknowledging the fact that Satan does have a kingdom. Now, in your Bible, there are different names for this satanic kingdom. I promise this is not a completely dark message. But when you're reading your Bible, you need to think about these things. It says the Bible refers to it as Babylon. It refers to it as, as Babel. We find that in Genesis. Sometimes it's referred to as this age or the world. Most commonly, you're going to see it called the world. I'd like to read you a few scriptures in Titus 2, 11 through 12. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. So there's the word, this present age. So the grace of God has appeared. Not only has it brought salvation, but it's taught us to renounce ungodliness and the world's way of doing things to live a self-controlled life, to live godly in Satan's kingdom. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed by what? This world. Okay, We could easily translate this, do not be conformed by Satan's kingdom, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and, per- and perfect. Too many times, our thoughts about how things should be is based upon what the world has taught us. And the gospel of the kingdom tells us that, no, it looks a lot different. God is a lot different. His kingdom looks a lot different than you think it looks. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, this is not of the Father, but it is from the world. I'm sure you've heard it said is the world is a lot like a spiritual Disneyland. Satan puts all these things in front of us to get our eyes off of the kingdom of God and off of what really matters. He says the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life, that's not from God. That's from the enemy. Why he slept, the enemy came and sowed tares, right? He, he sowed things in our way to, to get our mind off of what it should be on. Second Peter 1.4 says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of lust or sinful desires. All the world has to offer us is sin, evil desires. And the Bible says that the promises of God help us escape these things. Your job, my friends, is to search the Scriptures and find these precious promises and partake of them. If you're going through something, if there is a problem in your life, if something is happening to you that you don't think lines up with the kingdom, why don't you search the Scripture and find out what God has to say about it? Is there a promise in His Word where God addresses what you're going through? And then begin to claim that promise. Begin to meditate on it. Right? Are all the promises of God automatic? That was not rhetorical. Are the promises of God automatic? No. Right? He wants to deliver them, but we have a part to play in them. That's why prayer does things. You would say, well, if God wanted it done, He'll just do it. Then why on earth does He tell us to pray? Are there things that won't get done if you don't pray? Absolutely. James says you have not because you, what? You ask not. You're watching your world go to hell and you haven't spent one iota of time bending your knee before the King of Kings and asking Him to do something. Now the Bible says He's only obligated to do what is in His will. What is God's will? His Word, right? You've got to find it. Where's this precious promise? Do I have any legal ground to stand on when I go before the King of Kings that I can ask Him this request? Amen? If you don't know how to do that, talk to the elders. Right? Because where you should work or get a job is not really in the Bible. Hey, should I take this job at Ralph's? Well, you know, you can search the Bible, but it doesn't mention Ralph's. But we can clue you, in, you on to some things the Bible does talk about. Amen? Amen? And make sense of this. So, if you haven't been paying attention, your job is to know the Scriptures well enough to know the things freely given to you. One of the things King David says is, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who redeems my life from destruction? Who crowns my life, right? Who fills my mouth with good things? Who heals all my diseases? He, he's like, don't forget, soul. Don't forget all the things the Lord has done for you. He had to remind himself. When's the last time you reminded yourself of what God has done for you? Our attitude towards the world needs to reflect Jesus' attitude. While the world system is to be rejected to the uttermost, we need to love the people trapped under Satan's domain. John 3.16. You better know this one. For God so loved who? The world that he gave his only son. Now listen, God doesn't love the world systems. He doesn't love Satan's domain. He doesn't love the corruption and the sin. But who does he love in the world? This is talking about the people. God so loved the people in the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 2.2 He is appropriation, meaning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of what? The whole world. He is that sacrifice, friends. He gave his life as a ransom for this world. John 3.17 for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. When we condemn the world with our mouths and our attitudes and our actions, friends, we are not acting as Jesus Christ's emissaries. You're taking the job as the judge. That is not you. That is not our job in the parable of the wheat and tares. We're growing wheat. 
We should look at them the same way we would look at anyone trapped in a, in a terrible situation. Now, as imperfect as this country is, can you think of any country that is worse off than we've got it? Can you think of any country throughout history that's been worse off than us? Yeah, right? As broken and terrible as things are, there are people that are born into very oppressive societies that couldn't even speak out if they wanted to, that cannot meet like this. And it sounds so cliche saying it because you go to church one day, you're going to hear that. But that's just the absolute truth. But even then, God says, don't condemn them, right? Because he's after the people that are stuck under Satan's dominion. Now you think, hey, we live in a free country. It's like, no, this country is still under Satan's dominion, right? There's no country so righteous that is God's country. That's, that's a rumor. I know some of you may want to fight me after the service for saying that. But that's just the truth. There's no nation so sanctified and holy that, oh, this is God's people. God's people transcend nations. They transcend borders. They transcend colors and creeds. Right? All these things. Different denominations. There's no one denomination that has the corner on God. I hate to break it to you. Can I hurt your feelings there? I'm trying to. I'm kidding. I really don't want to hurt your feelings. But that's just the truth of the gospel. The gospel doesn't know any borders or any bounds. The gospel has gone out like a fire. And it devours everything in its sight. Amen? Amen. The harder you try to hurt the church, the faster the gospel spreads. We've, you know, we rejoice in the fact that we have these religious freedoms. But do you know that religious freedoms actually kind of hampered the spread of the gospel? For whatever reason. I mean, a purified church is a persecuted church. That's pretty wild to think about. i got to get moving. Okay, so I've got a few things I want to share with you. I think I have four points I don't remember. But it, how to live in the world as a member of the kingdom. So knowing that we live in a world where the Bible says this is Satan's domain. We live in a broken world. We are ambassadors for Christ, so we are in a foreign country. Right? That's what the scripture says. You live in a foreign country. This is not your home. You are now an ambassador to a king. Now, my day job, I don't know how many of you know me, but my day job is traveling. I travel the world annually. Not just once or twice. I log hundreds of thousands of miles. I go to all 50 states, different countries, China. Uh, secularly, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a minister everywhere. But that's my day job. And the point of this is, is when I go to these countries, that I'm actually... I could go to a place and say, hey, there's no law against this here. But do you know that I'm still subject to the laws of America? That when I land, I will be arrested for whatever rule I broke over there? Because I'm an American, right? Same way, same way when ambassadors come here, you hear about these guys that go to New York and they're not arrested and they can't do anything because they have diplomatic immunity because they're ambassadors for their country. Friends, you belong to a different kingdom and more is expected out of you. So even here in a country with... Uh, pretty good, uh, you know, the religion is not oppressed, you're expected to behave in a certain way, and you still are, we still are in Satan's domain physically. So the first would be how to live as a member of the kingdom in a fallen world. Number one is have faith. First John 5.4 says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now this faith is not only the saving faith, it definitely includes that. But it's faith in God's plan and faith to obey Jesus even when it seems like it is not working. You cannot see what he's doing at all times. But the faith that overcomes the world is the confidence in him 
that He is doing something and He is bringing you somewhere that everything you are going through has a purpose. Again, a good spot to say amen. Amen. Number two, since you live in a fallen world, you have to follow Jesus. John 8.12 says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When you follow Jesus, friends, you will not get lost in this world. It is a dark place. The media, the news, the, if you, the, the bad news is never ending, and it, ne- it will never change. We live in a fallen world. We live among sinners. When we were in Bible college, my wife and I's favorite expression, he's, uh, the pastor got up there and he's like, why do you get so surprised when sinners sin? They're called sinners. That's what they do. Right? We shouldn't be surprised that if this world is under Satan's sway, why are you surprised it's so broken? Right? Have you thought about that? It, it should surprise you. Matter of fact, what should surprise you if everything worked perfectly? It's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? What's the trick? Right? Because things won't be perfect until the final kingdom. Number two was follow Jesus. Number three, know that Jesus fully understands that you are in enemy territory. And he has equipped you for the battle. John 17, 5 says, My prayer is not only is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. His prayer is not to remove you. You're here for a reason. But he wants to protect you. John 15, verses 18 and 19, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, because I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. God knows you're hated. He knows you have a mark on the back, your back. 1 John 4, 4, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And we talked about Jesus casting out those demons, right? It's because a greater kingdom is here. You need to memorize this verse. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Say that. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Greater is your king than the king of this world. Amen? Amen. All right, last point here, and we're going to wrap up and pray, is active repentance. Jackie, that was your clue. Active repentance, the final way to live in a broken, dying world under the sway of the evil one, serving a new king, is we should be active in repentance. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, we're going to miss the mark. We're going to sin. We're going to act like this world. We're going to say things that we wish we could get back. And sometimes we're blinded to it. You'll look back and say, oh my gosh, I was acting like the world. God has given us an out. He says, if you would just repent, I'll forgive you and restore that relationship in the kingdom of God. Amen? If you are not actively repenting and searching your heart, You're going to find offense growing. You're going to find sin growing. And that's how we get pushed back into his kingdom. This offense starts to fester. The hatred, the backbiting, the murmuring. And we get further and further from the light into the darkness. And then we start groping around again, right? And that's the whole point of pastors is we should go get those people and bring them back to the light. And I'm preaching this message to you is because many of you want to give up hope. Don't go to the dark side. Come back into the light. Repent. Restore that fellowship. Kneel before our King. Amen? Serve the King. 
He wants to lead you into these open pastures to heal you, to forgive you, to feed you, to provide for you, to be the light in the darkness, to take the weight. Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Sin and unrepentance blocks these benefits of the kingdom. We need active repentance. Amen? Amen. Well, that's the message. Let's bow our heads as we, we move on to the next step here. Father, we thank You for Your Word. I thank You. Change our hearts. Change our lives, Lord God. Your Gospel is life-changing. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen, amen and amen.